0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. John chapter 18, if you've got your Bibles. My name is Darren. In case you don't know me, I don't know everybody here, but I'm one of the pastors here. and so grateful that you joined us in... It was in the late 1900s. Anybody grew up in the 1900s? Does anybody else feel as old as I do when you say it that way? Oh. In the late 1900s, uh, I was, this is a true story, I had, um, and, and Jennifer's here, so you'll, you'll maybe appreciate some of this, uh, I found myself in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, working for a booking agency. I don't get to tell these stories too often because they seem so old and out of date, but uh, I, was on a, I was literally given a, a legal pad, uh, a, a pen, and a phone, I think were the three things I was given, and said, now go book these bands. And uh, one of them was, uh, was jars of clay, Um, They were in their mom's minivan, Dan's mom's minivan. It was one of those fancy ones, like the tall minivan, uh, until they dropped their transmission in Orlando, and then I had to go uh, to heaven. Uh, And and there was a guy named Ian Escalon. He had this band called All-Star United. But but in the middle of all that, I... uh, I was I was just needed a band to work with because like jars of clay had there was nothing left to do with jars of clay. It was like, I'm sorry they're booked, I'm sorry they're booked, I'm sorry they're booked. So I saw this band playing that I thought, you know, these guys are are awesome. And back in those days, before there were viral videos, kids, okay, before you got to look at and see a viral and see what was going on on the internet, we had to kind of work the phones to see what was going viral. And one of the ways we knew, this is a true story, is we would call youth pastors and say, hey, you know, what what bands are like putting the butts in the seats? You know, and inevitably you'd hear somebody say, ah, oh, there's this band, I don't know who they are, but about like 500 people showed up. And you start to hear that enough, you're like, okay, something's happening here. We didn't know it was called going viral. Uh, but there was something that was worth working for. So that's how I was, okay, if that's happening, then I'm, that's a band that I think I should work with. And, and this was one of those bands. They were called Third Day. Are you cranking music? <laughs> I was completely unprepared for that. So, uh... This was actually when they got haircuts and looked like rock stars. That is not what they look like when I uh, started working with them. Uh, they look like they literally just got done working at Jiffy Lube. No offense to Jiffy Lube. Uh, and they were not in a minivan. They were in a, like a crime-fighting, mystery-solving kind of van. Do you know what I'm saying? Like one of those vans. And so I was, uh, started booking them. I'm on the phone. And, uh, and suddenly my boss is like, who, who the heck is third day? And so I'm like, well, they're this band. They're going to be awesome. They're going to be huge. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm 22 years old. But I said it with confidence. And uh, what I remember was this lecture that I got from him saying, this is 100% true story. We can't just sign every third day that comes along. We have to be exclusive. Now, in fairness, they were nobody. Like, nobody really wanted them. And the only thing they had going for them was me going, they're going to be huge like I knew what I was talking about. So I remember like it was yesterday, I'm driving down, I'm riding down West End Avenue, our brand new office, which is where I was going to meet Jen, uh, and Chuck lecturing me, we're not re- broadcasting this right, uh, Chuck lecturing me, That's all right, he knows it happened, he's fine, um, I ought to fire you right now, because we shouldn't be, you know, b- now in his defense, I didn't ask him. You know, I was kind of dumb. I just started booking a band. I mean, I didn't ask the boss, so that's on me. That really was on, on me. But the reason why he didn't want to work with them at that moment was he was looking at a specific aspect of them that seemed limited, that seemed they were on a record label that nobody cared about. They were managed by this guy that had played football. And you know if you played a lot of football, it kind of scrambles your brain a little bit. Some of the synapses aren't firing like they used to. And so he was one of those managers at the time. So there are these aspects of who these guys were that if you only looked at this aspect of it, it limited your understanding of what was happening with them. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, his being now surrounded by Judas, by uh, religious leaders, by uh, Roman soldiers, by pagans with lanterns and torches. And they are all there asking, Jesus is asking them the question, who is it, what is it, who is it you want? And they were all there because they had found a certain aspect of who Jesus was that if you only looked at that aspect of it, you have an incomplete view of who Jesus is. And by the way, that wasn't just in the Garden of Gethsemane 2,000 years ago. That's every day of our Christian walk, that there are aspects of who Jesus is that are who he is, right? And the question that Jesus was asking them is the question I believe he has for us tonight at Conduit Church. Who is it that you are seeking? He says in... um, Let's go to verse four of chapter 18. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Verse five, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And Jesus said, I am he. Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. It was like Benny Hinn came in and threw his coat, man, just took out the whole row. Again, he asked him, verse seven, who is it that you want? And Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And so Jesus answered, verse eight, I told you that I am he. If you were looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those that you gave me. And then Simon Peter, sidebar, Whenever uh, Peter is messing up, he, go, he gets called Simon. And when he's really messing up, it's Simon Peter. It's like when your mama calls you by your first and your middle name, right? Shannon Page Anderson. Like, you know, like it's when you were growing up, like your parents are mad at you. That's, this, is that, this is the biblical version of Simon Peter. Stop it. <laughs> Drew his sword and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. So not only was Peter stupid, he was a bad aim. It's like an Alec Baldwin moment there. He just, he made it wrong. He just, anyway. Ooh, sorry. Oh, that's too soon. I am so sorry. Friends of Alec Baldwin, I'm sorry. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, verse 11, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I want to read that one more time. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given to me? That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are so desperate for you, so in need of your word, so in need of our relationship with you. And I pray that all of us, me included, me especially, Lord, that you would speak to all of us tonight through your word. It's, uh, it's a light. It's a lamp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, you divide between our soul and between our spirit. And I pray tonight that that word would do that in our hearts. And Father, I lift up our brothers and sisters, at the churches in our community, there's so many amazing things that you are doing in this world, in this community specifically. Lord, I ask for you to bless, to be with our brothers and sisters here in this community and around the world, those that are serving Jesus in our local churches. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Who are you looking for? That's the question. Jesus had asked Peter this kind of this question in Matthew, right? Who is it that the men say I am but who do you say that I am? And now he's asking it a different way. Who is it that you're looking for? And there are people there that are looking for Jesus the man, that's Judas and the religious leaders. They they were looking for Jesus of Nazareth. They're looking for Jesus the man. And then you got Peter with his sword. Well, he's looking for Jesus the conqueror, right? But the Jesus that all of us need. Is Jesus 100% man? Yes. 100% God, 100% man? Yes. Is Jesus the conquering king? 100% yes. And... He's the Savior. And if we don't have Jesus the Savior, then Jesus the man and Jesus the conqueror fall short. It's Jesus the Savior that we need first and foremost and only and everything else. The conqueror, Jesus the man, it's all part of that. But if we just focus in on just Jesus the man, I want to show you now how that even plays out in our modern uh, search for who Jesus is that we're looking for Jesus, the man, uh, most progressive theology right now is, is that. It's creating God in their image. You see, they're looking for a Jesus here, Judas and these guys. They're not looking for Jesus, the Messiah. They're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. That's his address. It's like, I'm looking for Darren of College Grove. Right? This is the Darren, the guy that used to be a manager, he's a pastor. I like that, Darren. That's, they're not looking for Jesus, Messiah. They're, I'm looking for Jesus, the man, because they thought in their mind, Jesus, the man, is someone that I can control. Jesus, the man, is somebody that I can tie up, that I can lead, that I can do with what I want. And As harsh as that is for Jesus in that world, if we think of Jesus as somebody that I can define based upon my whims, upon my desires, upon the way that I would do it, if I have ever said the phrase, I would never serve a God that would do X or Y, even though the Bible says that Jesus does that, that's me creating God in my image, those moments where oh, I would never serve a God, and you, you see that all over the internet, especially those in a deconstruction phase, generally speaking, the Jesus that they're rejecting, like, oh, well, that's not Jesus. I would reject that as well. But if you are creating God in your image, if you're saying that, I would never do that, and I don't know where this narcissistic tendency comes from in our culture, you sure, you sure as heck don't see it in Africa or Asia. But this idea, I mean let me just float this out there for you for for the sake of entertainment and edification. If he is truly the God of the universe, right? If he truly can make something out of nothing, if he truly put the stars in the sky, right, Job, put the Leviathan in the sea, if he truly, right, there is no beginning and no end, isn't it possible that he might think something or do something or say something that I might not agree with? I mean, I'm just floating it out there. Isn't it possible? That if you serve a God that would never do something that you would disagree with, that would never say something that you didn't like, isn't it possible that that God is not Jesus but you? And instead of you being created or me being created in Jesus' image or God's image, I'm now trying to create God in my image. Jesus the man man, 100% God, an important part, but just like you can't focus on just that because Jesus, the man, Jesus, the good teacher, right? Jesus, the good example, is not a Jesus that can save you. If anything, Jesus as a teacher crushes me. I mean, if you read the Beatitudes and you think they're beautiful, I think you should read them again. You, You know what I'm saying? To me, the only appropriate response to the Beatitudes is, Jesus, save me from the Beatitudes. Because what he's saying is, if, if you've ever, right, if you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, I say, if you've even lusted after a woman, like, well, we're done here then. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's saying that there is a standard that is so perfect, not good, Perfect, that I'll never get there. I'll never make it. And so, if I'm literally just looking to Jesus as the teacher, I might as well go buy a ticket to Tony Robbins, right? Get some good life hacks, and then promptly realize that I, didn't, I just wasted thousands of dollars because I'm not doing anything I just learned from that. Because as a teacher, it falls short and it's insufficient. Perfect, yes, he is a great teacher. But if it's just that, if it's just Jesus the man, it's not enough to save you or me. And then there's Jesus the conqueror. That's what Peter was looking for. Because they all, and by the way, Jesus the conqueror is an aspect of who Jesus is. He is going to come back. He is going to return. If he fulfilled 400 prophecies in his first Arrival, right? Over 400 prophecies that he fulfilled in his first coming. Some say 350, some say 420. Let's just say for round numbers 380. Do you think he's not going to keep his word on the coming back one? Like, do you think he's not going to come back for the righteous, right? And to to execute judgment on those who have rejected him and have wreaked havoc on this earth? Do you think that that's the first prophecy he's not going to fulfill? I don't. But If we just go for Jesus, the conqueror, like in Israel, one of my favorite places is Caesarea Maritime. Uh, Favorite because, A, it's on the coast and it's beautiful. But what makes it, I don't know, when I look at it, I realize these were Roman uh, leaders and Roman legions that persecuted and killed Christians and tried to destroy Christianity. And we paid 10 bucks to walk on their grave as Jesus' people, because the kingdom of Rome collapsed, but the kingdom of God is eternal. If Jesus just came to conquer Rome, there would have been another and another and another. He came to not conquer Rome this time, he will. He came to conquer sin and death. He had to start with sin and death because anything we see in empires, anything we see in tribalism is a sin problem, not a tribalism Problem. It's a deeper issue. It's something that we discovered this morning in uh, in our breakfast time. By the way, if you uh, the, the the people that make breakfast for the worship team, they're not screwing around, man. I mean, it's like we don't just run for egg McMuffins. Like this is a legit breakfast. So, uh, Dan Colvin put this down. If you don't know, Mo had a, uh, Mo team had a little bit of an allergic incident in Wyoming the last time we were there. And so Dan Colvin, who is a brilliant, uh, funny guy, says, uh, uh, this is a little sign in front of our breakfast this morning. There is uh, no guarantee this breakfast is safe from food allergies. He says that there is a slight possibility, 99.99%, food allergy could result in Pastor Moe syndrome. <laughs> Mo syndrome is defined as, your head swells up like a whiskey barrel Lips swell to resemble the front bumper of a 1950s classic Studebaker. Now, if you missed that a few weeks ago, this is what he's talking about. Yeah drink that in. Mo had an incident with an allergic reaction to something, we don't know, in Wyoming, and it blew his lips up like a Kardashian. Like, there are <laughs> women in Southern California that pay enormous amounts of money to get that, and he was whining about it. Like, I mean, man, you look amazing. But, but they went to the doctor, and the doctor dealt with the symptoms But at the end of the day, inside, there's an allergy. And the allergy that we have as humans is an allergy against the holiness of God. In God's presence, we not only swell up, we fall over if we are not in Christ. You see, that's what Moses was talking about that's what Moses was learning in Exodus 33 18 through 23 he was uh they're they're out of Israel or out of Israel they're out of Egypt they're in the desert now he's been climbing a mountain they got 10 commandments coming and Moses is talking to God God is telling him this you got to go do these things this is what's got to happen and Moses I love this in chapter 33 saying but without you if you're not going I don't want to go without your presence. And that's a promise of all of us. Like, the floor does not want to go to Haiti without the presence of God, unless the presence of God is going with him. But listen, Moses says, show me your glory. This is Exodus 33, verse 18. Last week, the week before, we talked about the glory of God, the weight, the covode, the, the heft, the purpose, the meaning. And the Lord said, listen, listen to what the glory of God is. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, because, listen, no one may see me and live. Because inside of us, not transformed, not born-again humans, we are allergic to. It's like the cosmic anaphylactic shock. It would kill us if we stood in the presence of a holy God, if we were not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. God found a little bit of a a, a clause there, like an exit clause for Moses to be able to experience the goodness of God, the glory of God. But listen to what he says now in chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, because... And, and, and I pray that my inadequacy as a communicator will be replaced by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can see, that you can experience. I'm praying that I get it too, like the inside of my heart of what the goodness of God really is. He says that in uh, chapter 34, he passed in front of Moses and this is what he proclaimed. As the goodness of God went by, he said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious gods, hello to anger. Oh, thank you for being slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Now, think with me, forgiving rebellion and sin, yet, right, this may or may be say but, but he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children of their children for the sin of the parents to the third and to the fourth generation. God has a giant problem with my sin. There's a huge problem in the goodness of God in my sin. And that is this, God is kind and he is gracious and he is slow to anger and he is perfectly righteous and he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Now, Romans tells us all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, which means all, all would be punished because of our wickedness. If you don't see the magnitude of this, it might be because you think you're a good person. And if you do, the Bible says you're not, and neither am I. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's not about being good enough, it's about being perfect and none of us can make it in with that standard to stand in front of a holy God. So what does God do? Infinitely compassionate, infinitely loving, patient and kind and perfectly just. How can he possibly, this is a giant cosmic problem for God. And it was solved not with Jesus the teacher, it's not solved with Jesus the conqueror, it's solved with Jesus the savior. Because on the cross Jesus the man conquered sin and death. It was on the cross where Christ himself This is what's happening in John chapter 18. When he says Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink from the cup that you, the, the cup that not God, that the Father has given to me? Cup in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 33, Isaiah 54, dozens of other places. The cup, whenever you see cup, it refers to wrath. You see, the Bible tells us that you and I, born into sin we have made ourselves enemies of God. Outside of Christ, we've made ourselves enemies of God. And what is God gonna do to save us? I love the fact that we know that he did it willingly, that he did it, I mean, what does it say here? He literally, I am he, and they all fall over. John tells us that Nobody's going to take his life. He's going to do it on his own. Jesus is going to allow it. He literally, with the, he didn't need Peter's sword, right? He just said, I am, and they fell over. And by the way, the word I am, your Bibles probably say, I am he. But that's not what the original Greek says. The original Greek says, I am. Moses, when he's leaving Israel, Israel, when he's leaving Egypt, he tells, you know, he's telling uh, God, hey, who am I going to tell Pharaoh? Uh, who sent me? Who, I, I, you know, who am I? Who, who, who do I tell him send me?" And he says, "Tell him, I am sent you. Not I am the God of this. Not I am this kind of a God. Not I am Darren from College Grove. Not I am Darren the pastor. It's I am." And those are the words that Jesus spoke in that moment, making a claim that he was God. It's why they tore their coats. It's why they freaked all the way out because they knew exactly what he meant. And I love this because Caiaphas, verse 14 Was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Caiaphas was the high priest that year. In fact, in Israel, you guys are gonna get tired of me talking about Israel, but look, it's just amazing. And and we're going again in February. So if you want to go, info at conduitchurch.com. I've got a few spots left. By the way, I don't make any money on this, so I mean whether you go or not is really I just want you to go because it's so amazing. But Caiaphas's house is one of the places that they know within probably 95 percent certainty that this is where Caiaphas lived, and in the basement of Caiaphas 's house, of course our friends the Catholics have built some amazing churches on top of it. By the way, I used to get real persnickety about that stuff and then I realized God can use a lot. I mean, he uses me but without those Catholic churches built on top, there were plenty of spaces we would never know that was there because they would have been long gone to history but inside of this house in the basement is a cistern and in that cistern, It was a cistern that held no water, and the Bible tells us that Jesus was held in that cistern. Now, the prophet says, I think it's Isaiah. Someone shout out if I'm wrong. One of the the prophets was talking about, my, my people have committed one sin, and that sin is that you have hewn for yourself cisterns, cisterns that hold no water. Here is Jesus, right? The water of life in a cistern that held no water, He's standing in it as the water of life being held captive voluntarily. The water of life in this empty cistern. And by the way, even when he comes across the river, this whole thing is just, I mean, full of imagery. He's going across the Kidron Valley, it says in the first few verses. The Kidron Valley, at the very base, there's this stream that goes between. And that stream, Kidron, means murky. It just means dark. And what it's dark from is the blood of the sacrifices going on in the city. Josephus tells us, the historian, that at Passover there were upwards of 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed and their blood would spill into the drainage system and into the Kidron stream. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world, steps across this Kidron stream full of the blood of lambs. The imagery is unbelievable. Into the Garden of Gethsemane, an olive press. Olives are only, they make their oil from, right? Being crushed. The oil of the Holy Spirit. The imagery is perfect. There's not a single flaw in any of it. But look what Caiaphas, speaking of that, the high priest himself that year, speaking on behalf of Jesus, our great high priest. This is in chapter 11. Remember right after Lazarus was resurrected? And what happened when Lazarus was resurrected, right? They're all like, okay, we got to kill this Jesus guy. He's causing way too much trouble we got to figure it out. So the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come together at Caiaphas' house to plot to kill Jesus. He's causing all kinds of a ruckus in the city. They didn't, it's ruining the peace. It's ruining the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, their power base, their financial like, revenues were being threatened by, we've got to stop Jesus. And Caiaphas says, look, it's better that we kill this one and save the rest of them. And in that one sentence, prophesize penal substitutionary atonement the high priest talking about the great high priest that wouldn't be just the lamb but the priest himself that would be sacrificed Jesus the man Jesus the conqueror but it's Jesus the savior who do you want I want Lots of things, right? But the older I get, the more I realize how broken the world is and how broken I am, and the more I want just Jesus. I just want Jesus the Savior. Some of you are young enough that you haven't had reality punch you in the face yet. You haven't been sucker punched by the Genesis 3 world. Give it time, you're young. But Jesus, the teacher... If he's just a teacher, won't get you through it. Jesus, the conqueror, he's great. He's going to conquer. It won't get you through it. But Jesus, the Savior, Jesus, the goodness of God, that'll transform you. I love this because when we talk about the goodness of God, we think very positive things, don't we? I do. The goodness of God. But what did Exodus 33 tell us? The goodness of God is that he's perfectly just which means you and I are perfectly screwed unless he's perfectly compassionate and merciful and perfectly just they seem contradictory but the goodness and the glory of God is that it's not just about rules and regulations and policies and procedures that's just legalism look any religion can do that and they do And on the other hand, if it's just Jesus, the sappy, drippy, I love everybody, granola Jesus, that doesn't transform us either. It doesn't transform us because if you've been treated unjustly, if you've been treated unfairly, you need to know that somebody's going to be just, that there's going to be justice somewhere, somehow. C.S. Lewis, he does what he always does. He, he, He said it way better than I could. From mere Christianity, he says that God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion goodness is either the great safety or the great danger according to the way you react to it and we have reacted the wrong way. The goodness of God says that you need a savior. The goodness of God says that I need a savior. And the only way that salvation could come was if someone would pay the price for my sin. I can apologize when I do something stupid. And look, if you've been around this church for any length of time, I've already let you down. And if I haven't, you haven't been here long enough. Because I'm just like you, man. I'm in need of the same Jesus you're in need of. I'm not the doctor he is. I need the same doctor you need. I might have been in the hospital a little bit longer than some of y'all. Like, I know which the orderlies are the nice ones. I know which nurses are mean. I know what to avoid in the cafeteria. Like, I've been around but I'm not, my job isn't to point you to me as the great physician. I'm to point you to Jesus because he's the only one who is the physician that can heal you or heal me. And the way that he heals us is at the tree, at the cross. This whole thing started with a tree. And it started with a tree in a garden. There's theologians that have said this way better than I can, but I'm going to try it nonetheless. It started with a garden and a tree where God told Adam, if you obey me about this tree, you will live. And Adam disobeyed him, and it says he died that day. Surely you will die. Obey me about the tree, and you will live. But he told Jesus in a garden, obey me about the tree, and you will die. What what did Jesus say? This cup, not from God Almighty, but from my Father. Do do you see even the tension in that Abba, daddy, like my father, cup of wrath from my father. The wrath that was meant for you and for me, shall I not drink that cup, Jesus says. the, the, The contradiction, the tension is palpable because it's only in drinking that cup that I won't have to drink that cup. Jesus, obey me about this tree and you will die. You'll be cut off from me, cut off from goodness and kindness. You will surely die that you and I might live. There's an old poem from George Herbert it has been alive longer than the late 1900s, but it's called The Sacrifice. It's readily available online, but this line just is, it's wrecked me for years. This line was, Oh, all you who pass by, behold and see. Man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree. The tree of life to all, except only me. Herbert's imagining the words of Christ from the cross. You and I stole the fruit. That tree was not a tree of life to him, but it is a tree of life to us, which is why in Revelation, it starts in a garden and it ends in a garden. And because Jesus obeyed Christ or obeyed his father about this tree, if you and I will obey the father about this tree, then one day you and I will eat from another tree, a tree of life that Revelation 22 speaks of, that is healing for the nations, healing for you and for me. Obey Jesus about the tree and he will live. And as we wind this down for the evening, I would ask you tonight, prayerfully ask yourself, have I obeyed him about the tree? He drank the cup for me. I don't know, maybe you said the prayer someday. You understand the Bible, there is no the prayer, right? Turn to, turn to, your, turn to the book of the Bible where the prayer is. There isn't one there's repentance. There's being born again, being transformed by the Holy Spirit. It's a literal repentance, a changing of my mind, turning from my wicked ways to follow Jesus. Not that I would live perfectly. I'm not clothed in my righteousness. I'm clothed in his. But in my transformation, there are things that that I know that hurt god there are things i know that hurt me there are things that are sinful yes my salvation is 100% secure but man i could sure screw up my life and a lot of people's lives around me by disobeying jesus he's saved us from the penalty of sin but not the consequences in your life of sin And I might add that his death and his resurrection doesn't just give us freedom from the penalty, but it gives us power over it. We don't have to live that way. You don't have to wreck your lives. You can, and Jesus still loves you, but you don't have to. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you tonight. I'm going to ask you to, in your own heart, ask yourself that question. Have I been born again? Have I obeyed him about the tree? Looked into the goodness of God and seen that the only salvation for me was going to come if someone else would pay the price. Would you ask him that tonight? And as I pray for you, if that's you and you, man, I've never, I don't know, I just I want to know. I'm going to ask you to just, at some point, and before you leave, because you know there's magnetic strips over every one of these doors, and when you leave, it's going to erase everything you've heard. I don't know what it is. It's a conspiracy, but it seems to work. Every time you leave, you're going to forget. Don't let yourself leave this room without emailing info at conduitchurch.com and say, man, I want to pray with somebody. I want to step into the kingdom. I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you, do that while I'm praying. Heavenly Father, we call upon your name tonight for my brothers and sisters in here that maybe you just don't know. I've never experienced this before. It's not about being afraid of hell. It's about being uh, in love with you, Christ, and the the, the gratitude that I feel. I want to follow you, Jesus. Transform me from the inside out. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in here that that has never been a prayer of theirs before, and they want to know, they want to just step into that new transformation, that new life, Lord, that you, you don't have to have them come down to the front, but you can change them right where they are, and I pray that you'd give them the courage to drop that email so that they could pray with someone in person. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for you. Your goodness has been chasing after us. Your perfect justice and your perfect compassion has chased us and continues to chase us. We love you so much. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.